only we had someone who was one of us to show us the way. And we do. This morning, we're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture, but I want to start by telling you a story. You know, I, I absolutely love decorating for Christmas. We don't have a whole lot of space at our house, but what we do, I like to cover in greenery and lights, and um, I really hate taking it down, though. I just can't stand it, and I will be totally transparent and say sometimes we are celebrating, today is the eighth day of Christmas, eight maids milking, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes at my house, we're celebrating like the 21st day of Christmas because it's the middle of January, my Christmas tree is still up, and things like that because I just can't stand taking it down. I love the warmth of the lights. I just love that. You know, today's also the first day of 2017, and I am so happy that so many of you made the choice to come to worship on the very first day of the year. You may be so ready to get rid of 2016 that you can't even imagine what 2017 will be like yet. You may be so ready to be done with 2016, or you could be one of those people who has had their 2017 planner since October, and you've already been filling stuff in. So whichever camp you fall in, we're here, and now we've got to think about it. You know, as a people, we like to rush from one thing to another. We like to rush from Christmas and putting up the decorations and all of that. We like to rush right into New Year's. If you go anywhere today, I'm pretty sure you won't find Christmas decorations out. And if you do, it'll be like 80% off. <laughs> Get rid of it. Get rid of St. Nicholas. In with St. Valentine, St. Patrick. Let's get out with this. We're done with Christmas. As a people, we're ready to rush. But I think if we, um, if we aren't careful, we can rush past some really important things. You know, we spend four weeks waiting, discovering Advent, and aligning ourselves with the people of Israel who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Then we want to clean it up, and it, the next day it's over. You know, Christmas is more than just a shiny manger scene that we put out lovingly after Thanksgiving and then pack back up that next week and put back in the closet when we're finished with it. The mystery of Christmas is that it ushers in the incarnation of Christ. Not just any baby, God's own son, part of the triune God coming to live and dwell with us and give us life. And that's not something, as hard as we try, that's not something we can cram back into a box. And the incarnation is what we risk just skimming over if we're not careful. We spend a lot of time during Advent focusing on how we wait. Do we wait? Why we wait? But let's not rush too quickly through Christmas. And let's not leave it without really taking a look at what it means to live into the incarnation. And that's what we're going to do today. You know, there are several passages that give us the birth story of Jesus. We talk a lot about shepherds and angels and mangers during Advent. So this morning, we're going to look at a different passage. We're going to look at the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible with you, you want to turn with me to John, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. 
This is not your typical birth narrative of Jesus, but it is a beautiful description of the coming of Christ. I think John 1, 1 through 14 reads like a poem. It's really a a poetic description of how God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, present from the beginning, before anything was even created, this presence of love and grace and truth was here. And that presence is what came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's read along with me to yourself. You can follow along as I read John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor a husband's decision or human decision, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. From the beginning, we are told, was the word. John describes it beautifully, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as being present from the beginning and together in this creative movement cultivating life. Life in the world, life in us, life through us. But that creation craved light. Not just the light of a candle, nor the light that just helps us move around without bumping into something, but real life-giving light. Light that brings all things out of the shadows and into full view. Light that doesn't let anyone hide in fear or judgment, but light that brings everything into clear view so that the light itself can really give full and real life. This life light was ushered into the world at Christmas through the person of Jesus Christ. This life light that has the power to get rid of all darkness and bring everything into full and clear view came into the world as a helpless and crying baby. Why? Why in the world? Why take something so big, so glorious and life-giving and limit it by putting it skin on it and hair and fingernails and relying on a heart to beat and more than that, relying on two teenagers to take care of it. You guys know I love teenagers, but I would not have trusted any of them with that. 
But that's exactly what God saw fit to do. And that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to our our scientific minds. John says the light came and the darkness didn't understand it, couldn't see it. Just like us, it didn't make sense. It's as if God was speaking one language and humanity, his creation, sort of was speaking another language. And God said this and that. And if you think about it, in the Old Testament, God spoke a whole lot. And some people understood it. Some people got it. But as a whole, the people didn't. They wandered. They continued to not trust. They continued to not put their faith in this God who kept reaching out, kept initiating, kept loving. So God sent part of himself as a translator of his love. That's exactly what the incarnation is all about. See, Jesus is the translator that helps us understand the fullness of God and what God is all about. When we think of the incarnation of Jesus, we see God's ultimate act of translating to us and communicating to us. Through Jesus, we understand who God is and how God loves In the letter to Colossians, Paul says that Jesus is the the image of the invisible God. So like all good translators, it's like God used what was familiar to us to communicate to us. So think about for a minute what was familiar to you about the coming of Christ. Even if you just look at Christ's lineage, you see a line full of black sheep. If you read the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, you have a prostitute, a girl who was molested and then seduced by her father-in-law, became pregnant, a baby that was the product of an affair and a murderous cover-up, and a Moabite woman who was considered a foreigner, and then you have a plain, old, uneducated teenage girl. A perfect white lamb coming from that line speckled with black sheep. I don't know about your family or your past or your life, but mine is far from perfect. I relate more to those people in the Bible who try and try and try and keep falling short than I do any of those people who got it right the first time. It's an unconventional path we have when Jesus comes because it it seems full of mistakes and it seems full of wrong turns and it is limited by human limitations. Yet that's exactly the way God gave us his own son. It gives us a little bit of a glimpse into how far God is willing to go for us, us, his wayward and wandering children. God knows our families, God knows our pasts, our failings, and sends us away, a path, a light, as John describes it, from a gnarled and nasty, messed up family tree too. God included common people, sinners, outsiders, those not like us who struggled with stuff that we would also deal with to reveal compassion, to reveal relentless love for those of us who are just trying so hard but cannot get it right. God shows up in the middle of brokenness from the very beginning and loves us still. The flesh and blood of Jesus are the language of God to give us new life. Flesh and blood are the language and salvation is the message. 
The Christian faith is, is really translatable because what is offered is not a list of rules and what we should do and shouldn't do that's bound by culture, but what is offered is a person, a body, a person, Jesus. People transcend divisions. Of all humanity, though, divided by all kinds of things, time, space, language, culture, reunited in personhood. Therefore, God translates the fullness of his divinity into a human. And therefore, it's our responsibility. We get to participate in this translation process by continuing to translate God's love to others. John talks about in verses 10 through 12 that the important thing isn't that we just understand this. The important thing is that we recognize it and receive it. Verse 12 says, To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John doesn't say to those who academically understand this or to those who approve of this is exactly how it should happen. He says to those who receive Receiving by nature is, is somewhat of a passive activity. You have no control when you receive. All you can do is just hold out your hands. Even if you're a football player and you're the receiver, you really have no control over that ball until it lands in your hands. You can move to try to be in a better place to receive, but you cannot will that ball to go any faster, any higher, or move in any way. All you can do is hold out your hands and receive. Folks, receiving is the first step of us living into the incarnation. Receiving is the first act of us translating Christ to other people, recognizing, believing, receiving. Receiving means not letting Christmas simply be a nice, clean, neat birth story, but recognizing this is God himself coming to us to be with us in imperfect situations and using imperfect people to do it. Receiving means we let that light that John describes, the light, into the darkness of us. Receiving means we realize we need rescuing and that that rescuing has come in the form of a baby in a manger. You know, the first people who had the opportunity to receive Christ, really, were Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents. Mary and Joseph received, and it totally changed their life. Think about it. Shunned by some because, I mean, let's face it, the story of Mary being pregnant with God's baby was just a little too absurd for some people to swallow. Receiving the incarnate Christ for them meant really killing off their old dreams of what life was going to be like when they were married and taking a totally new direction. Forget their plans. Forget the honeymoon phase. They were going to be parents and parents to God's son. So receiving for Mary and Joseph meant that from this point forward, Jesus was always going to be what their life centered around. And it would look totally different than the way they had originally planned it. Is that the case for us? 
Have we received the life of Christ as real and necessary and totally changed our lives to center around it? Because really living into the incarnation that Christ is God with us and that Christ himself was the flesh and bones that God used to translate to us, to show us exactly how much he loved us. If we really believe that, it should turn our lives upside down. It should wreck us. The incarnation that God put on human skin Succumb to human limitations like needing sleep and food and getting blisters and sunburn, all in order to show us love, to walk with us, to show us a better way to live and love each other through the person of Jesus. That calls for transformation, not just a mere nod of approval from our pews. We're really at risk for passively sitting and never letting this God with us presence turn our lives upside down. Because frankly, upside down's a mess. Upside down means work. It's not comfortable, and we certainly don't feel qualified to do it. But that's just what living into the incarnation means. Because the incarnation does not just mean that God came to be flesh in Jesus. It means that God came to be flesh in us too. To those who received him, who believed he was who he said he was, to those he gave the right to become his children. We get to live out the incarnate Christ in this world. We get to live out God with us, to those around us, to our neighbors. Folks, either Christ's coming has this kind of meaning for us or it has no meaning at all. And this is where it gets hard because this requires us to do something. Jesus' way was not popular. He upset the status quo. He preached things like, love other people like you love yourself. If someone doesn't look like you, talk like you, act like you, well, love them like they do. Don't judge or you'll be judged. Before going for the speck, take out the stick first. If someone asks you to walk one mile, go two instead. If anybody's hungry, thirsty, needs clothes, you better give it to them. That's hard. You know, Paul in Philippians 2 says that if we've been comforted, encouraged, moved any by being united with Christ, that we're to live that same way towards each other. He says to love with the same love that Christ has, to love with the same humble spirit that Christ has, that we're to do nothing out of selfishly trying to get ahead I really think that the message paraphrase just beautifully illustrates this. And I want to read that to you this morning. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11 from the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves 
the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at all at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything so that all created beings in heaven and on earth and even those long ago dead and buried will bow in worship before this Jesus and call out in praise because he's the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Living like that, that's incarnational living. That's living life as a translation of God's love to other people. Writer um, Ann Voskamp traveled to Iraq in 2015. And you may recognize her name as a, she's a writer and blogger, the writer of a really popular book, 10,000 Gifts, among other books. When she went there, she sat with refugees. She sat with women displaced by ISIS. She was holding babies. She was listening she blogged about her experience while she was there. She began a fundraising campaign while she was there for a group called Preemptive Love Coalition, and it's a group that funds microloans for women, women starting businesses in that area, providing education for children, emergency response needs, agriculture. In three days, they raised half a million dollars. And today, they've raised over a million dollars for that effort. A publication that I like to read, Relevant Magazine, a few months ago interviewed Anne and talked about how amazing it was that through her somewhat of a celebrity status and, and platform, she was able to use that position, use that platform for such good for others. And Anne said this, I don't know if Christians are really called to build platforms as much as we are called to come die at altars. If you've been moved by grace, grace starts movements. Grace makes you an activist. Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to change the next load of laundry. We're called to start exactly where we are. You are where you are for such a time as now. If you've been moved by grace, then grace starts movements. As we begin a new year, I want us to sit with this for a little bit. What does it look like for you to live into the incarnation? What's your next step? For some of you, it might mean, just as John said, you need to receive him. To believe that he is who he said he is. To trust Christ, to trust his death on the cross, that even though it might not make sense, even though you might not fully understand it, to simply hold out your hands and trust in faith that Christ's life and death and resurrection gives you new life here and for eternity. And if you have received, then now is the time to live like it. 
Have you been moved by the grace of God through Jesus? Then be a grace-drenched activist. What move do you need to be involved in? Believe what God believes about you and live like it. Don't stand on a platform telling other people how to live or what they should do. Walk with them. Live with them. Let the incarnate Christ in you be with them through you as they mourn or celebrate, weep or rejoice. The flesh and blood of God with us comes to us through a messed up lineage to poor, unimportant people, showing us there are no limits to God's love and walking with us in the person of Jesus to show us God's approachable, knowable, real. Let that, take that, this incarnation of God with us that is also in you, and let that be what pushes you forward into the next year. Let's pray together. God, we want you to mold us, to move us, to make us so uncomfortable with being comfortable that we have to do something because of you to show others your unconditional love. Lord, hide every bit of us behind your cross so that you are what people see when they come in contact with us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.